public service announcement on behalf of the end podcast the following contains adult themes and explicit language throughout if this doesn't reconcile with your sensibilities then walk into the bathroom lock the door and repeat into the mirror three times pussy man pussy man pussy man All right, welcome to the first episode proper of the End Podcast. Um, if you've already heard one of our episodes, thanks for being on at the ground floor. And we will continue to impress, delight and disgust in equal measure. Let's do a quick whip round for today's cast. First of all, we're going to do, by absence of last week, Blake, say hello to the people. Hey, what's up? I'm, uh, I'm finally here. Um, I'm Blake. You can find me on Twitter, BTMorgan85. I'm on Instagram now. Um, I'll probably make, you know, posts and do all that. Um, I like comic books. I like uh, hanging out with these guys. Uh, you should uh, check all their stuff out. And like I said, if you feel froggy, hop on over to my Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I passed the mic over to Tim. What have you got to say to the people, Tim? Hi guys, uh, my name is Tim Bagshaw. You can find me at TM Bagshaw on Twitter and I think the same on Instagram, although I don't usually post it on Instagram um, every once in a while. And I also like comics and I like sports and I like hanging out with these guys, so cheers. It's true, we are very hanging and outable. You've hit the nail on the head <laughs> with that one. Over to you, Joe. Yeah, hey, it's Joe Pocket. You can find me at double zero Joe Pocket on Twitter. Uh, you know, just uh, just laid back, chill, chilling, and just having fun posting shit about movies, TV, sports, anything, man. Just come and check us out and have fun and hang out. And his ass. He likes posting about his ass, too. <laughs> I like <him> posting <laughs> about his ass. With, with the help of my wife, of course. <laughs> and in the wise words of Eni Kamosi, we have our lyrical gangster, Brian, take it away. <laughs> Murderer, boogie down, bro. You'll find me on Twitter uh, on at boogie down with B O zero and do the rest. Um, yeah, man, it's amazing that we just fell into each other's orbits on Twitter. And yo, man, it's all gravy. So join us here. We're doing this live, man. Comics, movies, good shit. Get it in. I'm talking of good shit. Ollie, take it away. Yeah, I'm Holly, I'm French, my English is self-taught, which explains a lot of what you're going to hear. I'm also on Twitter, but my account is of no interest whatsoever, so what's your excuse? And Goose, take it away. Final, last but not least. Hey everybody, it's Goose, you can find me, uh, it's actually Colton Dotson, but everybody calls me Goose, you can find me at uh, 40ounce underscore Goose on uh, Twitter. I also think it's like... Uh, 40 ounce underscore goose on, on Instagram as well. Uh, I'll be posting some uh, stuff about comics on there. Um, yeah, and uh, straight from Texas, love to talk to, love to talk about comics, movies, music, anything that has to do with pop culture. Uh, as you can tell, my jacket is just uh, video games and uh, fucking X Files, Space Explorer, stuff like that. So anything pop culture gets me. And uh, speaking of people that get me, it's these guys right here, which is why we love talking and love bringing this stuff to you guys. So uh, I guess without any further ado, we're getting started, right? We are indeed. What a fantastic rabble. And I think what I should do at the beginning uh, this week, which I, which I 
forgot last week is probably to say that we are the end podcast we are on all platforms it is a multimedia assault we are on instagram we're on twitter youtube soundcloud spotify you name it we're on there and then see how you feel just just test the water dip your toe that's where our reviews go and um yeah let's get started then so the first New story that I want to pick up on this week. It's not really news, but I suppose New Mandalorian episodes is always news, uh, being as it is the flagship program on Disney+. Plus. So we're going to discuss the first couple of episodes. And if you would like to take it away, please, Brian. So we're going to get into the, the first two. I'm going to keep it spoiler-free um, and just talk about uh, the whole thing. Of, of the Mandalorian, and you know, you've got to rate. Um, I'm shit with my name, John Favreau. John Favreau. John Favreau, like bow down because he knows what he's trying to do. What makes the Mandalorian fucking so washable is that everyone knows something about Star Wars. But you don't have to be a neat geek blurred, nerd or anything because this, a la Rogue One is just set in its own sphere of existence. And what it takes are the beautiful things about that frontiership. Um, you know, the frontier, the badlands, you know, the kind of things that are out there, you don't know what you're gonna discover. And he embodies all the elements of a, a Ronin or wolf and lone cover wolf, which is the absolute um, quintessential um, Thing that they're, they're doing here and it really really works so first thing is get into the mandalorian you don't have to be you don't have to know anything about star wars you'll see stuff and go oh i remember him so the great thing about this is it's star wars adjacent you don't have to be in the skywalker ethos or anything like that so it just makes it awesome now there's a key thing about um about the mandalorians and you understand their culture you understand their creed uh, and their whole raison d'etre, right? the reason for being. And um, what, what's happening is that Mandel wants to return the child to where he comes from, okay? And that's the premise. And it's, he starts questing. So he has to go to A to find the B to get to C, right? But it's not straightforward. You guys can talk about the ins and outs, but I've painted the spoiler-free imagery for you to go with. Oh, it was a vivid tapestry. I feel like I'm standing at the foot of the Sistine Chapel, just looking up in adoration. It was a beautiful passage of description. Thank you very much, uh, Brian. Thinking about a couple of things that you touched on is, I, I feel that the Mandalorian is kind of like a Batman that you can actually believe. Like he <laughs> has um, this great problem solving ability. He's a badass, he can use weaponry. But he also has to take a punch. It's not just like he doesn't have plot armor. Like you feel that he could potentially lose at any point. And that sort of last Ronin, almost Western mm. feel to it that um, Logan yeah. did as well. How, how do you, how would you put it? Yeah. It's an intergalactic spaghetti Western. Bring those words together. Like it's a beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I was just gonna touch on what what Blake said. That was that was that's what I've been looking at it as. Uh, I think Brian mentioned Lone Wolf and Cub, but I really do get uh, Lone Wolf and Cub in a spaghetti western, uh, intergalactic spaghetti western vibe. Yeah. I do want to point out uh, before we go any further. Did y'all notice in uh, the the cantina and most Eisley when old girl sat down, uh, there was a blaster mark on the wall behind her. That's from Greedo. 
after he years. gets shot by Han. But that's quite a big thank deal. You. He shot first. It's a very big deal because look, Han Solo is a rogue. Han Solo is a yeah. dirty, devilish, nasty, like scruffy nerf herder. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that dude is the he's done. He's a he's a smuggler. There's nothing mm. good or decent about him. Mm. And so like. When he's out there shooting first, the only reason they change that shit up is they're trying to turn him into some hero. Yeah, yeah he's a hero, but he's an anti-hero. Why mm. do you think he gets the princess? Because she mm. wasn't going to hook up with her brother. That's the only reason. Oh, you need me too. I completely agree that, just building on what you guys said, that you do not have to be embedded in Star Wars canon to enjoy this show, mm -hmm. which I think makes it a perfect sort of vehicle for Disney Plus because mm -hmm. you're going to have so many subscribers to that who may or may not be subscribers to Disney Plus because they're Star Wars fans, but it's an entry point for all those people to sort of get into that Star Wars adjacent universe and maybe check out further stuff. And, and the way they create the show, I think, speaks to that. Um, because the show has the Star Wars aesthetic. It's got like, you know, space battles, weird creatures, um, a big bad that the morally ambiguous hero has to, has to fight. It's based on the sort of monster of the week model. So it's sort of like, yeah. it's, yeah, you know, it's like, it's not really episodic. It's, it's, mm. it's different. It's, it's really, really in that way. Some, I think some review site just recently said, I can't, it may have been Nerdist, but I, it doesn't matter because I disagree with them. But they were like, they said the second episode was filler. And I was like, fuck you, man. If, if this is how the new season of Mandalorian is going to be in every episode, I mean, yeah, there's an end goal. He's traveling, looking for other Mandalorians. But if every episode is like him versus a giant fucking crazy whatever, whatever, like mm. I am here for it. I am totally. Yeah, okay. totally. That's what made. If you remember, like the X Files back in the day. I mean, people. The the most popular episodes were always the Monster of the Week episodes. People mm -hmm. love those. It's good to have an underlying current of an ongoing story, but the really fun ones, the ones that kind of step aside and tell just yep. a discreet story. And um, I, we can't we can't move on without uh, bringing up. Uh, is it Oliphants? Tim Timidy Tim Tim Tim. <laughs> <laughs> He's just supreme now. I think through the roles and, and the variety of roles that he's taken on as well. When you look at um, this being sci-fi, and then he did, or oh, what's the one where he's got the dead wife that's eating people? Dead Clear to Die. Clear to Die. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yes, um, so funny. Yeah, he is legitimately like his timing is just perfect. And then before that, he was doing the sort of western in in Justified, and he, he's got such a range. And to see him in this now. Ooh there's an expectancy for performance but he has that kind of boyish rogue like like he'd be good to go on the piss with but you wouldn't trust him with your missus <laughs> uh i'll say this i don't know if y'all remember but he played the uh he played the bad in uh the girl next door that comedy from 2004 and so he he played like they played like the porn stars like handler or whatever and like he had that boyish charm and he, he was really funny but he also like had that bit where you, he's like, oh, he's funny, but oh, that dude could be dangerous. And then I saw him in Hitman, and uh, yeah, I, I've liked him since then, man. Everything he's been in is spot on. He was yeah. a good Hitman. I like that. I just, not even forgetting Deadwood. That's where I first saw him. Funny story. My dad was bartending at that time. He was managing this bar. He was the night manager. And uh, and I just turned, I, it had maybe been on a season or two, but I just turned 21. So we used to party up there all the time. And my dad was obsessed with the show and he would call people cocksuckers. 
and they would just throw money at him. They're like, this old guy's crazy and hilarious. And like, I mean, people would like sit at the bar. What do you cocksuckers want? What can I get you cocksuckers? Like, I mean, people were eating it up, man. It was crazy. Shall we move on to the second talking point of the week? Oh, just about Oliphant. I just uh, want to say one thing. Yep. That when they were casting the original X-Men and all that, and they were casting Gambit, he's the guy I wanted as Gambit. I thought he would have been perfect Ooh, as Gambit. But no, they didn't cast him as Gambit. That. And I was like, fuck that shit. And um, that's enough of that one, I think. Moving on to news point number two, which is the 007 casting, which is Lashana Lynch who is going to appear, appear in No Time to Die. And she is going to be the first, not only female 007, but also the first black 007. I think that, of course, there's no decision over whether this is right or wrong, other than the, the good appointment on meritocracy. So, of course, we'll, we'll stay clear of that because I think it's a void discussion. But I do think it's interesting how do we think that this will be received and how do you think it may or may not affect the IP going forward? So do you want to pick this one up, Tim? Sure. So um, in addition to the, the Lashana Lynch um, casting, I just took the liberty of jotting down a few names that I've seen as rumor for this. Um, Tom Hardy, Michael B. Jordan, mm. uh, Fassbender, um, Richard Madden, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, Idris Elba, Henry Cavill, even Harry Styles yeah. is uh, rumored to be potentially in the running here. And so it, it, it's obvious that at this point they're making a big transition. So they've got LaShawn Lynch coming in <clears throat> for this movie. I guess one question is whether it makes sense to, to cast for the new Bond an up-and-comer or a, um, an established type of actor. Um, I always thought that it, it made sense to do an up and comer. I mean, for instance, like Daniel Craig, he was not a well-known, he was not a huge star before he got the Bond role. I think that really works. And that's sort of part of the Bond tradition. But you have to wonder, I mean, whether one of these up and coming actors would actually want this role. I don't think it's like necessarily a slam dunk. So obviously it's, it's going to make your career, but it also will define your career in the sense that it might get, be hard to get roles after your bond, right? Um, just like Daniel Craig has, uh, he has, has said, he's like, it's sort of typecast me. I mean, he's tried to, he's tried to move out of the, of the bond shadow, but yeah. that's one of the issues he's raised. So just generally speaking, with the Lashana Lynch casting and with the new bond, I guess the question is basically, uh, does it make sense to go in this up and coming newcomer direction or would you like to see more established people doing it? I think it's quite one of the one of the interesting things that you brought up was the um, the typecasting, and I think yeah. <laughs> it makes me laugh. I can't, I can't, I can't bring myself to say Craig Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Craig. Um, what Daniel Craig's done well is he's done this the James Gunn like way of doing it. One for them, one for me, and he did. Yeah. Uh, look, was it Logan Lucky? He did uh, Knives Out, and he's managed to build up this portfolio. And I think the way that he walked into the role really was because he did the best audition he could, and that was in Layer Cake, where he was pretty much playing a James Bond character without playing a James Bond character. I'll say this about Bond, this theory that all of the James Bonds are um, different people and that James Bond and 007 are in fact the code names. And so I'd like to see them expand on that. 
And mm. like you said, with the upping, I'd like to see an up and comer. But you know what, man? If they're gonna make a old girl James Bond, um, I'm all for it. I'm mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Well, there's been like two consistents in every James Bond movie. All right. There's two <laughs> beautiful people. There's one man. There's one woman. Okay. And they and they kick people's asses. And you know, typically it's been the, the man has been Bond. All right. But yeah, let's switch yeah. it. Have the woman be Bond. Yeah. We can I'm we can get it. some sexy stud, big name actor to be the to be the 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 side piece. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Totally yeah. Oh, dude. Rolls, man. Idris Elba. Like, oh. You want a sexy man piece? Put him in there. Fuck. You're skipping on Jason Momoa. You're skipping on Jason Momoa. That dude is uh, a god. No way, man. I'm out. That man. Ibris, that man makes Ibris my lords quiver. What really excites me is. Uh, Production-wise, to have Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the author of uh, *Fleabag*, and was working on *Killing Eve* now, uh, writing the the thing, because uh, I'm hoping she's gonna bring uh, a new, better sensibility to the project, and uh, work on some of the more problematic things, uh, especially with uh, female characters. Like in the last bond, there was this widow, and uh, she's grieving, but she met she meets Bond and uh, he's sleeping. <laughs> Isn't it within like a three day cycle when she's hooking up with him or something like that? The husband dies, it's like literally grief like, does things to people, dude. Grief does <laughs> things to people, yeah. Usually crying and locking yourself Not this much. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to expand on what Ollie said about there the dolls. Go. Look back to look back to uh, live and let die. Who was the uh who was the oh god the uh the uh the the actress Grace uh Grace Jones Grace Jones yeah you were talking that was that was like a that was a step in a different direction mm-hmm. when they when they went with that because like you want to talk about strong powerful women like dude there's not a guy or anybody on this podcast that she couldn't like beat the shit out of I'd ask like, her to repay her handsomely. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, please, like, strangle me to death between those incredible thighs. Yeah. Anyways, not the point. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to be really interesting to see if um, a female-led action film can survive at the box office without it fitting into an ongoing continuity like the DCEU and the MCU. I think it would be good because it'll put the argument to bed together but i think before we've seen connected cinematic universes there's a reason why for example charlie theron or scarlett johans that the box office returns are proportionate to to how much the leads get paid and when you're only probably receiving 30 35 40 million for films like lucy or aeon flux and things like that that when you compare it to a mark Wahlberg or dwayne the rock johnson who are incomparable in terms of actual acting ability but when they're a bankable brand that you can bring into a film then that's why they're going to get paid more so i think this would be really exciting i don't want to call it experiment because that's you know verging on derogatory but i think it'll be good to to firmly put a stamp on it after this and black widow coming up as well of course but i think that's got the connected tissue to the mcu so it's it's buoyed by that so i think that's a really interesting thing that we that we might be able to see Activity will draw buzz too, because everybody's going to complain about a female bond. Uh-huh. They're like not everybody, but a large percentage of internet bags are going to complain about it. So it'll that that alone will generate buzz, which I think will help a lot with box office. Yeah, yeah. 
What do you guys think about um, potentially have been keeping Bond in the more traditional acting appointment and then possibly of expanding the universe in the way that Civil War did with a Black Panther or a Spider-Man and then having spin out characters from that and trying to expand the IP and having a Bond film every year? Do you think this is potentially a missed opportunity or do you think that's a road they can still go down? I think that would work um, if they were doing that on, on, on a designated streaming service. So yeah. if they had the um, IP to do it like, um, you know, do a film and do a spin-off and then have a, a series, because as we discussed last week, the, the budgets for these series now is, is ridiculous. They're, they're movie-level production. So you could easily do that. But I'm not sure if that kind of genre has got that, that pull. The death of superhero movies would have to be there. And then the resurgence of, you know, the action hero and Western. I think we've seen with series like Alien probably 10 years ago and um, Jack Reach has done pretty well. That I think that James Bond is probably the last big cinematic IP that doesn't have an ongoing TV series. What's his name? Trevelyn from Goldeneye. He was 006, so we know we know we have different agents. We know we have different M's now with what was that Skyfall that, mm -hmm. that they showed, like M switching out. And so, like, they've, they've been setting it up. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing an expanded universe if we're talking about keeping Bond as, as a primarily male character, but introducing, uh, like, uh, with Charlotte Lynch. Yeah, if we, have, if we have her introduced in, is say, 008 and we have a new agent and we can get like spinoffs of that because yeah. we've already seen it can be successful at, successful in other mediums when you look at even in uh even with idw that's been pushing out uh 007 comics the past couple past of years, couple uh, years. Uh, yeah. if the watchman series is anything to go by that woman lead shit is dead mm. because that was fucking tremendous like every was. episode i was just like amazing quality is just wow. No character was just a byproduct of a throwaway. No. What got me about the what got me about the Watchmen show, uh, and it got it got widespread attention afterwards. But like the uh, the the Tulsa, like the Black Wall Street Massacre of nineteen twenty one. Like a lot of people in the South had already heard of that and they knew about it. It just wasn't really like talked about. And then everybody was like, "Oh, did that really happen?" Like, no, that was a real thing. We good to move on. Good to go. Super. Well, I'll um, take the reins uh, on this one to start with, because um, I know we've spoken about quite a bit about this, uh, not in in a, in a part. It's, it's something that was emphasised or accented even further when I received the War of the Realms omnibus this week. And um, the reason why I bought the omnibus was because I didn't want to get the trades and have to go from one to the other and find the issues to read. <laughs> I thought the whole point of, getting, of buying an omnibus was that it's in order. All I have to do is go from cover to cover. And it turns out it's not. It's done in each of the individual series and you still have to go forward and backwards. Fair enough, it takes oh. having to put one down and pick it back up again. But it was still, it was really, really fucking deflated. And that made me think of, well, the, the epic collections. So for anybody that doesn't know what epic collections are, they're um, a concise, contained arc graphic novels are about an inch thick and it gives you about 20 issues of a story that's self-contained and it's a nice introduction so say if you've been to the cinema and you watch new mutants and you go into a comic shop and you can see that there's 
and so you don't know where to start because it's the middle of the arc and it's not the traditional stories or the traditional characters. They're a really nice introduction. But the problem with this is, is that you can only buy some of them some of the time because they're limited edition release and it becomes kind of like a, a fool's gold of comic collections. Instead of being an easy entrance into it, it's just become another exclusive and excluding way of collecting the titles. And I think it's absolutely insane. And it's the same with the, with the omnibuses, if you look into it a little bit deeper. If, you wanted, if you'd watched Jessica Jones on Netflix and you wanted to go and get and read Jessica Jones from start to finish, and the only way you can do that is buy an omnibus, because if you try and get the single issues, you're going to get publicly bumfucked on eBay. There's no two ways about it. People are getting scalped by people that buy them up, they wait for the runs to end out, and then they sell them on eBay. These are supposed to be easy access to collectors and new fans of things that have been out of print who weren't able to get the single issues at the time. And all, it, and all it's doing is creating this, this sub-market and it's exploiting people. And it's for me, it's as despicable as people buying up concert tickets. And I know there's an argument to say, well, if it wasn't for the second-hand trade, then you wouldn't have an opportunity to try them anyway. Because if you weren't there at the beginning, then you missed your opportunity and this is the only way to get them. But I'm saying, why make them limited? Why can't Marvel just keep them constantly in print? Not all the single issues, not all the trades, but some of their biggest characters, especially the ones that have notoriety on TV and film, keep the omnibuses in print constantly and keep the epic collections in print. All they're doing is losing money, hand over fist. Because I tell you what, as soon as I found out about the epic collections, I wouldn't fucking need any of them by now. And I would have had Blake egging me on because he would have had to have done the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and they would have had, had so much money from me. But instead, I'm trying to buy them secondhand off eBay. And that's not giving any more money to any creatives or any publishers. All it's doing is giving the money back to the bloke that's already paid for it. It's so short short shited. It's shite, isn't it? It's short. Shite! It's not changing at all. The fucking scoundrel. Cob shite. It's, it's just something that I feel that they've got really fucking wrong. Now, I know Blake likes an omnibus, so I want him to tell me why <laughs> I'm chatting shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's 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 two there's two kinds of omnibuses omnibuy there's um there's you know like runs that are in order and complete and then there's event omnibuses which are formatted and structured in a way that you're not the only one that gets irritated with it but it's kind of like oh well i'm still gonna suck at the teat of marvel because this is the only way i can buy it and and now man those the, those war of the realms ones we got like you can turn right around and sell them online right now. They're sold out. Uh, you either got to pay uh, a higher price on Amazon or eBay, or you got to buy, or you know, buy from third-party sellers. Yeah, people are fighting for them right now. So you have to like pre-order everything, uh, especially if you don't want to pay cover for them, which is the only way I can afford them. Um, is because I can't pay one hundred and twenty-five dollars a book. And yeah, you have to basically pre-order them now because if not, you miss out on them and they're sold out in 30 minutes. And it's wow. a bummer. And people think it happened uh, like once COVID started because uh, everybody started buying up all this stuff instantaneously. And that's where we're at now. It's like pre-order or die or pay $150 or $200 for a, for a book. And that's, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I think something that was born out of convenience is now being turned into a speculator opportunity. 
as opposed to something that was to entice people in and someone being able to who isn't necessarily into getting the single issues it's being exploited as an opportunity and and, and we've seen it from publishers as well because um like you like you uh, picked up this week goose when you got the rosenberg um one in 250 prints well i mean like the the thing about it is is like you were saying it it is starting to turn into a speculator market i think even with war of the realms the omnis came with variants and and i got to i got to looking at it those variants for those uh matthew rosenberg books uh those were put out back in like 2016 and the fact that they're just still like free floating around like i i don't know how i found both of them i wanted to get that orion that walt simonson orion omnibus before orion was born and i started looking on the internet and dude it's like i was looking at like 250 like 180 and if it wasn't for blake uh, big ups to blake for hitting me up the only reason i got back on facebook was because blake was like hey i found it for like 80 dollars canadian uh if you get on facebook you can go buy it and so i found it for basically cover price but everybody i can go and Fuck, Mr. Miracle by Tom King, the original hardcover. I got it for cover for $34.99. I can go right now sell it for $125 easy. But don't you think that it, it all comes down to supply and demand? And the way that you, you, you take out the influence of scalpers is by flooding the market with stuff. In the same way mm -hmm. why, why the, any number one from the 90s is the funny one from last week. Someone was saying, if you retweet this to get me to 400 followers, you can have a number one of Savage Dragon. I was like, yeah, I'm in for that. And then someone commented when, yeah, but do you really? And I went, okay, let's have a look. <laughs> eBay, there was like, there was literally pages on pages and pages. And I think the most expensive one before postage was £1.30. And this is a number one issue from like over 25 years ago. Yeah. But the, it was that whole speculator thing. They're not worth shit. And that just shows you like, the way to take out speculation is through availability. And also, if we're looking at supply and demand, then that shows that there is a market for publishers to be making the money out of it by not doing limited. And, and look, let's say they want to keep it exclusive and they do want to keep the first issue pre-orders. Do it like a regular number one or an event. Do, sec do second prints, third prints, fourth yeah. prints. Every two years, bring out a new sleeve with a new colored, new colored cover. And then you, you're still keeping the exclusivity but you're also giving people the opportunity that are collecting. You realize they're doing it to favorize Marvel Unlimited, right? I, th I don't think that I don't think the two things are mutually exclusive. I think that we're in an age now whereby hard copy media has died out in every other format. HMV, which was the biggest muta uh, music retailer in England, has been bought out twice from receivership. <laughs> And it's going to the wall for a third time. Borders bookshop that was in every out of town shopping center that's gone to the wall. Blockbuster video has gone to the wall. The fact that the comic industry has expanded seven <laughs> eight years. Now, some people say, con contrary to that, that that's not sales at the register, that's just the ones that they're made to buy on the shelves. Yes, but that inflation is the same percentage inflation all mm. of those seven or eight years. So by all the same rules each year, there is still a relative increase. I think that if the digital market was going to have undermined hard copy sales in comics, it would have started 10, maybe 20 years ago, and we wouldn't still be seeing this notional increase each year. I think the biggest problem will be is we're the last generation of people 
that haven't just been used to having a digital copy and we're, we're used to buying it in hard copy. It's how you get the next couple of generations on board that, that's going to be, that's going to be the, the big thing. Ah, uh, just about the speculator stuff. Like a perfect example about, like you say, flooding the market is IDW with the last Ronin. They short ordered that first issue. So they cut everyone's orders at local comic shops by 25%. And I got fucked on that. So I didn't get my issue that I pre-ordered because they cut everyone's order by 25%. And I'm just lucky that I know Peter Smart because I hit him up and he found me one because they had one at the thing at his shop. I got mad from Peter. I would have had to go on fucking eBay and paid like 60, 70 bucks for a first issue that just came out two days before. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. Like, the whole speculator market, that's, uh, Blake knows how I feel. Like, uh, fuck all speculators with a hot iron and, you know. Really, these are grown fucking men. It's not like people in their teenagers doing it. Like, get a fucking hobby. Like, how much money do you seriously expect to earn this? Like, to take the family out or to buy a fucking Domino's pizza every other week? Like, what, what's, like, how much money can you seriously expect to make? Oh. But, I mean, the worst part is a lot of these people, they don't even enjoy fucking comics. They yeah. just know it's going out there. They buy them up and sell them. They don't even read this fucking shit. And then people like me and you guys that enjoy these fucking stories and read them, we have to pay, like... 10 times more cover price just to be able to read these fucking stories. It's ridiculous. What, gonna... what really pisses me off is the speculation on the Epic Collection books. Yeah. Because the yeah. entire purpose of those was to make out-of-print out of comic runs affordable and available. Yeah. And so when you hit a speculation, speculation market on that, it's not just disappointing because you can't get the issues. It's like a slap in the face. It's insulting. It, the it, fact yeah. that they will not publish these. It, it, it's infuriating. I I. Yeah. I I mean, you like if you want to get like, for instance, Wolverine Mad Report Knights, you're gonna to have to pay like two hundred and fifty dollars for an epic collection online. It's insane. It, it fucking boils my piss. It's it's the same with uh, not the only one. What's the Daredevil one, Blake? <laughs> what's the Daredevil one that that I struggled to get hold of? Oh yeah, um, Heart of Darkness. Yeah, Heart. Of, you can like again, you get to like two hundred, two hundred and fifty quid. It, it's it. it, it fucking infuriates me something that should allow me to go back and as you as you perfectly put it tim out of print collections that you should just be able to walk into any comic shop can you imagine the business that comic shops are missing out um, look at infinity the infinity gauntlet trade went back to it was number one the year that uh, avengers uh, infinity war came out it was the number mm -hmm. one seller that is the capacity that these collections have and it should be a way to get people into comics that have never read comics that they go into the shop and instead of having to flick through all these things and, and looking at oh, which one's the ones that I want, where can I start? Oh, well, you probably want this, but maybe wait a couple of issues for this one to run out. You can go, there you go. If you like that, come back to me. Once you're familiar with the characters and then we can talk about each week, what's a good place to start with the single issues if you want to. But it's not. It's yeah. not taking it away from the shops. It's taking it away from the fans and it's taking money, legitimate money out of the pockets of people that should be getting it and sending it to independent people that are scrupulous. Honestly, it just fucking boils my piss. I think we did that one good. I think we got some real feeling behind that. And I think something else that we have real feeling for, and that is Jeff Lemire. Now, um, the people that don't know Jeff Lemire is he started out as a political cartoonist and released an Eisner, was it Eisner nominated or winning Essex County, which were three self-contained stories about um, a young boy becoming a man in, um, where is Essex County? 
Ontario. Uh, Ontario. Wisconsin. From that, he was offered a exclusive contract with DC with the specific aim of re revamping the flailing Green Arrow story, which he had much accolades for. And he went on to write Justice League Dark and a couple of other things before switching to Marvel. He did critically acclaimed Thanos, Moon Knight and Old Man Logan runs. Three things that should um, never have had the plaudits they did, especially Old Man Logan, because there was no way that that story should have worked, but it was absolutely pristine. Of course, in the background, he was working on his own creator-owned stuff like Black Hammer, Sweet Tooth, uh, Ascender, and, and many others. So to open the discussion, would you like to take it away, Joe? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we are talking about age before, and I think this factors into why I like Lemire so much is he was born a year before me. So he's 44 years old. I'm 43. So I think I was exposed to a lot of the same cultural things he is. And I think that comes through in his work. And that's why it resonates with me so much, you know, like, uh, and I was, I was looking into it and this guy started off in film school and he transitioned to comics because, because he's the more of a solidary he's a little more introverted. So he figured comics was like a better branch for him because he didn't have to deal with people as much. So that I thought that was really interesting. And to do a shout back to before when we're talking about Watchmen, he's pretty good friends with Damon uh, Lindelof, right? Is that the name? Lindelof? Yeah. yeah anyway, he's pretty good Lindelof. friends with him because if you read the forewords in Sweet Tooth and stuff, this guy writes a lot of the forewords for his Sweet Tooth. So he's pretty good chums with this guy. So, you know, like... Uh, He's got, he's got some ties and this guy's work is, as far as I'm concerned, is second to none, but you don't get, he doesn't get as much press because like I said, he's a little, he's a little more introverted. He's solid. He's more of a solitary person. So he doesn't get on Twitter, like, let's say a, like a Snyder or, or a cat cats, you know, he's not, he's not out there putting his shit out there. It's strict business for him. Like he goes on Twitter. It's strictly business. So he doesn't have that same allure, that rock star, that superstar, but his work, the quality of his work is just as good as these guys, if not better, as far as I'm concerned. So, but I, uh, he doesn't, he, do, he doesn't hustle like those other guys, but man, his work speaks yeah. for himself. You give this guy a shot and you'll be a fan for life, for life. Yeah, I think it's that I picked up I, on there that you were saying um, he's quite introverted and he suffered with anxiety and depression quite severely until uh, his uh, early 30s. So that takes him right up to Essex County. And I think one of the things he struggled with to start with was being propelled into the spotlight. And I think that, that transpired through his uh, DC work as well, that he said it was like uh, a treadmill that um, with writing to a monthly solicit that he likes to be, um, for example, he had 24 issues of Black, I think it was Black Hammer written before it even came out. I mean, he likes to really plan and plan and plan. So the, the monthly grind of the solicit schedule really took its toll on him, I think. And one of the reasons why he's left superhero comics and the big two behind. I wanted to, I wanted to say about what, what Joe is saying. When you say he's not hustling, I, I disagree in that sense. He's not hustling on a social form. But man, is there anybody putting out as much consistent and as much incredible work as Jeff Lemire? I don't think so. Everybody on this pod knows Donny Cage is probably my favorite writer. But the best writer in comics right now, Jeff Lemire, hands down. Anything he puts out, not only is it able to just grab you emotionally, such as, as um, 
talking, uh, Matt, we were talking about frog catchers the other night. He oh, he he did all of that. Uh, God, that's it, it. Took me two reasons, so it hit me hard each time. Black Hammer. Oh God, Black Hammer's incredible. All the stuff that he did with Black Hammer, Hammer Forty Five. What'd you say, Blake? Oh, it's just it's Black Hammer's so good. I was just agreeing. Oh, yo, no, yeah, no, it's super good. It is, it is. Uh, God, I, like I said, I Jeff Lemire is is right now the hands down best writer uh, in the game. Um, he anything he writes is able to grab you emotionally, yep. pull you in, and make you feel uh, whatever he's wanting you to feel. He really has this this. Um, Oh God! What's the, the uh, this marionette type hold yeah. over me when I'm reading his books? That that he he's moving me with his books, and and man, I'm telling you, there's not a better writer in the game right now. Anything that that has his name on it, I know I'm going to enjoy it. Not because it has his name on it, but because it's gonna it's just gonna wrap me up in it, and I'm gonna lose myself just just reading it. I can't tell you how many of his books have just made me fucking ball and just cry my eyes out. He's so yeah. good, dude. He's so good. I think of Lemire kind of like a method actor. You know, like they're in their role, they become it. And the way he writes his characters, he gets yes. in his character's heads and you just feel that character and all their emotions and all the the conflict. And, the, you know, like it's like he gets inside uh, every single one of his character's heads and it comes out right on the page. It's incredible. That's, that's Joe, did you read, Joe, did you read Sentient? Yes. Yes. Did you read? Oh God! How? Ooh! It's <laughs> mm, so good. So good. I think it's really interesting that you uh, bring that up because Black Hammer came from he he as I said he had um, like 20, 24 issues already written before it uh, was ever released. And what happened was after he had success with Essex County, he never still thought he'd be writing for either of the big two. So what he wanted to do was write superheroes. Um, get it out of his system, but he thought, I can't do a superhero title that is conducive to the same tropes. So he said that, right, what can we do? We can make them gods, but they still have to deal with everyday problems. So what happens when this guy takes his cape off and he's stuck in a traffic jam or he's getting a parking ticket or he's having an argument with his wife? And I think that what he does so supremely well, and I think if I look through a lot of the titles of him that I've uh, read, so like Sweet Tooth, Animal Man, he focuses on the family and he makes the family flawed and he makes it a very conditional situation whereby they're not good bedfellows, if that's the wrong term to use probably in the context, but they make it right. So there's a lot of love in each of these groups of people, but they're fractured and splintered and it's about how they come together and make things work. He gets his fingers right inside the hearts and the heads of each of the characters and gives them all their own voice in that dysfunctionality. Completely agree. The core thing I recognize about his writing, he's got an understated way of making the ordinary, <laughs> you know, your everyday. So extraordinary people in ordinary situations. Uh, and I'm getting that through Black Hammer. Uh, he wrote, I think it was the pre-Matt Fraction or just post-Matt Fraction Hawkeye, uh, when he had both Hawkeyes. <laughs> on it and um, I like what he did with that. He just gave him some, you know, put him in extenuating circumstances and just gave him some real mundane, real extraordinary situations to deal with in real, trying to be mundane about it. I don't know, the mundanity, mundanity. But yeah, 
Um, I'm seeing all the titles come up and fuck you guys because I ain't buying it. <laughs> I think with this all showing um, our very diverse and most excellent collections there. Uh, by the way, anyone on the podcast, we're all holding up various Lemire uh, titles to the camera. And I think we're going to have to end it because otherwise we'll be here till next year. Now, this is the yeah, astonishing yeah, yeah. thing about Lemire. He still considers himself an illustrator. He works, he has a home office. And he works from that, from nine to five, like a regular job. And he works from nine to five, illustrating and drawing because he considers himself an artist. He says, and then he fits in his writing, the odd two or three hours here and there or at the weekends where he can fit it in. Now, what's astonishing thing is how does he, how, how easy does he find it? Writing all, and there's no dip in quality. I mean, we could have a discussion about Cullen Burn and Donny Cates, but in that discussion, we'd have to, the question would be asked like about legitimacy of the question is is there a, an overuse is is he being overburdened but with jeff lemire to hear that and to see his output you wouldn't even entertain that question he must have an extremely patient wife <laughs> this, guy must, this guy must spend 16 hours a day in his office like you see so his wife must be so understanding and patient with him it's insane <laughs> <laughs> Two points. Sounds like you're speaking from. It sounds like you're speaking from experience. <laughs> no man, he's bringing in the paper. You should have seen my wife's face when I brought in those Batman books yesterday. Oof. She didn't say much, but the face said everything. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> do you know? Do you know? Do you know what happens when you send something across, uh, like international lines? Like if you send something from Canada to America, it goes through customs. No. I'm at work. And I get a I get a call that says from my from my fiance Dakota and she says, Hey baby, um, you've been buying action figures? And I went, No. And she said, Okay, and then just hung up the phone. And then I get a picture of a box from Canada that says customs packaged action figures, toys. <laughs> and I like customs put me out on fucking front street. <laughs> How am I supposed to keep these things on the down low? I won in the contest. I didn't buy it. But still, customs is screwing me here. <laughs> so I think one of um, the titles that stood out to me, and I'd probably put it in my top five um, of all time, including everything, is Sweet Tooth. I think that the, the character developments and the arcs, there's scenes in that. Like, I find it. Sometimes I get a bit of a heavy heart and sometimes I get excited and specifically actually looking at something I'm going off topic a little bit like The Walking Dead. And, and actually the only Marvel characters to have ever done this are the X-Men. Whereby you can turn a page and I'm in such disbelief, I freeze and look at it and then I have to read the last four pages because that seriously could not have happened. Just to make sure I've not missed anything and there's nothing to come and I have to go feel through it and then I just stare at the page. And with Sweet Tooth, there wasn't just that impact. There were times where my eyes were actually wetting. And I, I, I find it very hard to get drawn into sequential art in the same way I would do. As much as I love it, of course, we're doing this. It's not, you know, a slight on the format. But I just don't feel the same connection because it's, because it's, it's static uh, depictions. But with with sweet tooth just you don't know if they're going to win at the end of it and you don't know if they can even win by the end of it and it's so heartfelt and complex 
and just such a beautiful story. I mean, it, it was it was brilliant. And I know that you've um, read the the new first issue, Joe. What did what did you think of it? Um, it was okay, but I am fucking. I don't know what the fuck's going on in it. So I'm I'm and I'm I can't wait for that second issue because I don't know I don't know if he's in it. Yeah, he's yeah. in a dream or if he's trapped he's attached to a machine he's like in a matrix because yeah. i don't know it's fucked up i don't know where i am he's young again and uh, it's it's a whole nother story that doesn't seem like it's connected to the original book so i don't know where he's going with this mm. it's very uh so far i don't see too many connections to the original story so i don't really know it was it was you know it's sweet to it it's jeff lemire so i like it and he's definitely you yeah. know he's going somewhere with this so i'm not gonna I'm not going to say it was bad or anything because sometimes, you know, you got to get two or three issues in before things start to come together and make sense. But uh, yeah, but I'm going to come back to, like you were saying, how it was making you, you know, gets, gets you emotion. The, the Sweet Tooth series was the first series, comic series that I read that actually made me cry. Yeah. I'm reading this in bed and mm -hmm. I'm starting to tear up and my wife's looking at me. She's like, are you fucking crying? <laughs> <laughs> what? No. What are you talking about? Because she hadn't read it yet. So like she's looking at me like, and I'm fucking in bed reading this, and I'm start I start getting a tear coming down my eyes. She's like, what the fuck? Like, what's going on? <laughs> so anyway, and Jeff Lemire, like this sweet tooth, Jeff Lemire's sweet tooth and Terry Moore's Rachel Rising, the combination of these two books that together got my wife into comics. And now she reads almost oh, as much as many comics as I do, thanks to wow. Sweet Tooth and Rachel Rising. Like the combination of those two, I made my wife read those back to back, and now she's she's a comic fan now. Well, that's awesome, man. Oh, just uh, two points about Lemire that I that I have. Um, the first is just how remarkable the scope of his sort of genius is. So, um, what what he's able to do just on a variety of different types of books. So we talked about how with this big two stuff, you have these legacy characters with their on with their, all their continuity behind him. And he's able to write really fresh and exciting stuff. So rescuing Green Arrow, um, writing what is now an iconic Animal Man run. Um, the stuff he did for Marvel, right? Like Thanos and, um, and Moon Knight now, I think are like some, in some ways definitive. So he's, he's able to do that. Um, and he's able to, so to, and he's also able to, to do a complete world building. So he built out Black Hammer and he has all these side titles that spin out of it. That's amazing. And then also in his independent work, he's able to write a very small, these very small intimate stories um, that have, you know, like Roughneck about domestic violence, um, uh, Essex County about, you know, sort of nostalgia and small time life. So that, that's one thing is just the scope of how great he is in different types of books. And the other thing I wanted to highlight is his, um, his cartooning, his art style. He only does that in his own books, right? He's not drawing, he's not gonna draw the Green Arrow book, obviously, but he's doing like in his own his own independent work, he does he does a lot of the, the illustrations and it so perfectly fits the themes that he's trying to that he's trying to um, trying to advance. So for instance, like talk about Essence County, you've got like it almost has like a sketch-like quality, his drawings. Um, and there it's like a black and white, very sketch-like quality. It really serves the themes of like nostalgia and memory. Yeah, yeah. And then um, a book like Sweet Tooth, which we talked about, that's an, in, it's an incredible book and the illustrations do the same thing. So it's, again, it's got the Lemire like sketch-like quality, sort of washed out colors. Um, and that book is an adult book. It's a vertigo book with a child protagonist. So it really invites the reader to sort of think back on their own childhood. And when you do that in real life, 
it's so surreal to do that. You can't get a hold on it. And the art perfectly serves that. It's like a surreal type of art quality that I think really advances the themes. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think um, I'm going to come on to it on the, what we've been reading section, but I think it's uh, a perfect opportunity to bring it up with Vodcatcher. I think uh, to listeners, we have to be fair and give them a crux of the story without spoilers. But at the same time, I'd like people to really discover this at their, at their own pace. But I don't think it's any secret that it's about senility with a potentially dementia. And the way that it uses the, the black and white style that Tim was talking about for when they are compass mentors, and then using the colored version for when they have those very spare moments of clarity. And I think that really was a pitch perfect way of using his, his style. And, and also the way that the art looked when he was going through this kind of dream state was, it was ghostly, it was wispy, it was sort of like light and almost aerated that you couldn't catch it or, or, or touch it or place it. And even though I didn't even, I didn't have a clue what the story was about, that in the same way, the haunting art style precluded to something not sinister, but like something that was going to be haunting that came along. So it was a perfect adaptation of his art style. I think the fact that he writes and illustrates his own work, you know, you're not giving a script off to someone else where they got to try to get inside your head to see what you're thinking. Like he's, he's telling the story from both points of view, from the writing to the illustration. So he knows exactly what he wants to see on that page. And I think that helps, that helps tell or project that emotion he wants. So he doesn't, he doesn't have to try to explain it to someone because it's him. And I think that that just adds to the story so much. And I also liked that he knows how to use capture and release. That at times dialogue isn't, isn't necessary. And when it's used to impact a story and how to use a spacing of a cell spacing on a page, whether it's the, the progressive fading or bringing in of different things or whether it's the, the size of them or when to use splash panels, it's, it's a really astute skill. And it's, it has to be something that's entirely instinctive. Just explain this joke right there. You know, like as an illustrator, you'll have that shit down pat. And coming from movie, you'll have yeah. to understand how you want to, how this shit's gonna look. Yeah, yeah. So he's an artist. And like you just said, so we started the conversation going like, how is he an artist? He's such a fantastic writer. But you know, you guys, I've been listening and you guys just totally justify that he, he, he is scripting, directing, executive producing this shit. So he knows exactly how the fuck it's supposed to come. It's his exact vision. And on, on that topic, actually, he's probably one of the most successful conversion um, to film and television at the moment. There's a multidiscipline uh, film and TV series for Black Hammer, uh, which is in pre-production and he's writing the scripts. He's also writing the scripts for Essex County, which was actually being filmed in Canada before lockdown happened. But he didn't write the original script for Essex County and he read what the other person who originally wrote it and he didn't like it. So he rewrote it uh, and he submitted it on Twitter about the, the month of January. He submitted a picture of his script for the for the pilot so because i think that essex county is is extremely personal to him yeah that's one of his first big book it's even named after the place he's born right mm. so i think he saw it and he's like no this is this is me this is mine so he redid it and he wrote the script for the pilot 
himself. And Descender, Descender was originally, uh, Sony bought the rights to do the movie for Descender, but just recently, there's a Canadian production company called Lark Productions that bought the rights to do a TV series of Descender. Oh, and Sweet Tooth, Sweet Tooth's being done as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and his wife have a production company. And yeah. actually, he was on set for the production of that. And that's what inspired him to write the second, uh, the Sweet Tooth Returns. When oh, he really? was on set there, it, it got the juices flowing. And then he's like, I got to I gotta write another Sweet Tooth story after he was on the set and seeing all this. We will go on to uh, our, our, what we've been reading. And I think that there is going to be a fair amount of Lemire. So if you have your three titles and you want to do a little bit of your Lemire research, then I think we'll quite happily bring that in and bend the rules a little bit this week. Now, I'm not too sure if Goose is signaling a delivery man or if he's wanting to go first. <laughs> eating some shit. It looks like he's eating something tasty. Oh, well, okay. No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is it is, it is, is really, really good Texas barbecue brisket. And, like, Whoa. I was trying to save it, and then we went a little bit longer, and I'm like, oh, good. So I've been eating off camera. But... <laughs> oh, no, please don't. I'll go, means... I'll go second. I'm not going to lie to you. The way that you're taking that sauce off, your thumb is quite sexual. <laughs> just just put it on you, because if I hear you eating, it's going to make me hungry. It's going to make ladies froth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Blake, do you want to take the lead on this one? <laughs> oh, you despicable. Um, you don't want to explain that for the audio listeners. Um. No, I'm, I'm going to cut that whole bit out. Don't worry about it. I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna have subscribe it. to our YouTube channel for sensual barbecue eating. Yeah. But what I am gonna do, you can just save that video and use it as an ad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also gonna have it saved to a USB and have it on one of those motion um, <laughs> photograph frames and just have it next to my bed. <laughs> I would love that more than you would ever know. <laughs> We're going to talk about sex food. <laughs> That's pretty. It looks sensational. Uh-huh. Right. On to, uh, on to our final part of the show. That's where we share our week's reads. I think that being as we've all being swatting upon Lemire this week that if we want to spike maybe a couple of extra months. Of course, it was a particularly slow news week, so we did quite well to fumble through what we had. So if you want to slide a few Lemire in there, like a couple of salacious fingers. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I can't say it. Oh, okay, just Phil. You can oh, say it. Mind. You, can, you can slip those fingers into Goose's food. Into Goose's barbecue <laughs> rack. That's what we're calling it. The barbie, the BBQ. Okay, Blake, what you've been reading? Tell the people. All right, well, finally, after some delays, the last Ronin finally appeared. Um, I managed to secure... Uh, oh, the lighting's terrible. Uh, cover A, cover B, the one in ten variant, and then I got the uh, the Freddie Williams special store variant. So sorry for everybody that didn't get those, um, but I sure <laughs> did. So, 
It is amazing. Even though some little dipshit spoiled it for me on Twitter, uh, this guy, he was just popping into random threads uh, saying, hey, guess who the turtle is? And everybody's like, fuck you, bro. Um, but there was still so much, even finding out, having that spoiled, there's still so much amazing. The art is really good. It's um, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, just kidding. Um, Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird back together again. Um, very, very good um lots of really great action uh lots of little tiny reveals that i won't spoil for you even though it's been out for you know a week or two or so it, but it's very worth picking up it's a higher cover price um it's eight bucks they're doing a second print of number one you should do yourself a favor and grab it uh, it is it is very 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 tasty um also i got the deluxe edition of the man who laughs by my boy ed brubaker uh we're talking about jeff lemire i love jeff lemire and right next to that list of writers that i'm fond of is, is ed brubaker um one of the cool things about this and is one of the reasons why i bought this again is this has um ed and sean phillips's first comic together the gotham noir they included it in this new version <laughs> Um, it is not collected anywhere else. If you want to try and buy the one shot, it's like 60 bucks. So you can get this for about 30 and, um, and, uh, it's, it's very cool. It's very much worth it. Um, Ed and Sean are a powerhouse team. Uh, they put out crazy stuff. The last thing they did was pulp. Uh, they're doing criminal currently. And so that's definitely, um, th think about grabbing this. If you're a fan of them, um, Joker is Ed. I know people are a little bit jokered out. Um, but Hey, this is a refreshing deal. If you, happened to read the dog shit that was three jokers i'm sorry did i say that i'm sorry i apologize it wasn't <laughs> the first two issues were okay that it, it kind of ended um it, okay if you're like at one of those like massage places and they're jerking you off right it'd be like you pay for this happy ending and then yep, yep, right yep. before you come yep, like yep. they're just like well time's up later buddy and you're like what huh why like I paid for climax. I paid for climax, and you don't get it. Blake. Anyway, um, speaking of Lemire, I um, I've been reading Trillium, and this, this, well, this is just good. This is um, it's like a, a time traveling uh science fiction love story where these these two characters come together in like the most unconventional way ever and the way they come together randomly and how they're able to connect with each other on these feelings um is through like hallucination because there's like part of it's part of the story's in the past um and then part of the story is uh is in the future like the year 30 3000 something and there's like 2000 humans left and there's this virus that's they've literally humans have literally been running from this virus like all over the galaxy and it keeps catching up with them and more humans die and they're almost extinct and so they think this alien flower is gonna like save the world um and they it's like a hallucinogenic hallucinogenic flower and these our two characters end up eating the flower and also shenanigans uh but they're able to like connect through dreams and hallucinations and history um so it's like a love story with two people coming together that you really never experienced before and i love lemire's art it, it's it's i'm not a good art critic i don't know what to call it it's different the way he 
makes features and how he makes characters look there he there's like this ab humanness to it but also so much humanity um he just it's the way he kind of composes his art um and this is some of his more detailed very beautiful he colors it he's um it's it's just there's more finer details i think maybe because there's a lot of stuff on alien world so he's including more like minutia and the panels and stuff but more detailed art of his uh it stands out it's beautiful it's a touching story uh, it's also a massive mind fuck and like it's one of those books where you you read it and you finish it and you're like wow and then a couple hours later you may even be reading something else and you shut that book and you go back to it and you're just like man and it just kind of keeps hitting you uh, after you read it. Um, and in that sense, you know, you definitely get what you pay for. Because it's not a deal that you uh, get to the end and shut it and never think about it again. It's, it's quite the opposite. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, I, that's me cupping Lemire's balls. And I think he, enjoy, I, not, <laughs> he enjoys it. I think he deserves it. <laughs> I just want to um, I just want to anyway. one thing. While you're cupping his balls, are you tickling the gooch as well? Or just <laughs> for this I was. For this I was. I was I was eagerly looking up at him, like, yes, sir. Pressure to you know, like tell me how I can make this better for you. Yeah. Um I was a servient being on that one. But yeah, those are my picks of the week. And and yeah, if, if you don't listen to anything else I said. As much as I love those other two books, man, Trillium, it's a few years old, a cheap trade. If you can hunt down the hardcover, it's beautiful. I'm currently trying to hunt it down right now. It's a little more expensive. Um, but yeah, it is a, it's a, it's a winner and you should check it out. Good stuff. Um, do you want to pick up from here, Lolly? Yep. So from me, two series. So first is Black Bolt. So I'm not a Christian world fan. I discovered his work with Odyssey, which he did with Fraction, and then saw him do a bunch of issues as a guest artist on the, ulti the Ultimates. And didn't really like his work. He's one of those artists that I can find very talented on a technical level, and yet not being able to fully connect with the heart. And I don't like Black, Black Bolt as a character like at all, the wiggle aspects makes me want to run away. Then there's the slavery problem posed by the inhuman society. And using this franchise to try to replace the mutants didn't help. But uh, I very, very like Black Bolt as a series written by Saladin Hamed. It's one of the Precious instances when script art and colors mesh totally with each other's. Black Bolt is one of the most cohesive series I've ever read. It's a thorough exploration of a character that doesn't shy away from exploring all of his flaws. The series is 12 issues long, but I think the first six of them are the most interesting in the way they have to put Black Bolt in front of others that aren't afraid of calling him out. The relationship built with Crusher Quill is especially interesting in that aspect. In a lot of ways, Black Bolt reminded me a lot of uh, Tom King vision, and I hope to see more series of this caliber from Marvel. Then is coming uh, this comics called uh, Decorum by Jonathan Hickman and Mike Adolston from Image Comics. It's a wet book. 
If you thought that East of West could be obtuse, at times think again because decorum is worse. Each issue is double-sized with a lot of data pages, like in the X-Men book. Uh, sometimes they are redacted, like censored, which can make it frustrating at times, but uh, that doesn't mean that the non-redacted ones are exactly understandable ever. It follows what seems to be at first a bunch of disconnected threads, a killer for hire that is taking on an apprentice, a bunch of which is trying to hatch a giant egg, a cosmic dictators trying to destroy said witches. What's interesting is that Adelston is using a different style for each storyline. Sometimes a very rough geometrical, geometrical style. Sometimes it looks just like sketches done with a simple pencil. The color palette is changing each time at, as well. It really is an intriguing comic. And I mean for the ride, as I am a, a diehard Jonathan Hickman fans and I've been since uh, Secret Warriors and uh, Nightly News. I'm going to um, pass it to the next person, but I'm also going to piss out half a pint of sparkling pink wine. So I would like Tim. So that's not going to be in the edit. So what I'm going to do... However, is... if you'd like to subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, I, I will do a live feed of me pissing red. <laughs> I'm also going to pay Grace Jones to punch me in the bladder 10 times to, to uh, say it. <laughs> Actually, this bit might do. Maybe Grace Jones will hear it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if she chokes you out, not me, I'm going to be real sad. Well, what I'll do is let's just make a pack goose that if Grace Jones ever punches me in the bladder, I'll let you watch. Um, no eye contact, but whatever happens, happens if you'll do me the same privilege. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Okay. No eye contact. What are we? I thought we were chums. <laughs> I thought we were pals. No, what I meant was third eye contact. So no two. Ah. But yes, moving swiftly on, Tim, uh, if you could pick up the reins and let us know what you've been enjoying this last week. Sure. So I got two, just uh, quickly two books this week. Um, the first one is A Walk Through Hell, which is uh, an Aftershock book by Ennis and Suzuka. Uh, uh, just by way of setup, I, I know I think some of you guys have read it, but others haven't. But, but just just by way of setup, um, it involves two pairs of FBI agents investigating a crime. Now, I'm only three issues into this so far, so the the big mysteries are not revealed to me yet. But just by way of non-spoiler, you got these two pairs of FBI agents investigating a crime. One of the pairs goes and investigates some evidence in a in a warehouse, and then never returns. So they don't they've been in there for like nine hours and there's been no contact so the other pair goes in after them and then once they get in there truly insane things start happening um and <clears throat> it's got ennis's sort of like characteristic shocking and grotesque panels which is always great and um a, a real central mystery that is very intriguing so I, i'm really really liking this book so far um it comes in two trades or you can get um the uh, single volume uh, hard, hardcover. The other book, which is um, Spiegelman's Mouse. Um, this is a project for me that I've got a bunch of books on my shelf that I should have read long ago and I just never got around to. So I'm trying to read these, uh, uh, you know, one at, one at a time, these, these classics. 
And uh, Spiegelman, he wrote and drew this book. I'm sure many of you have read this one too. Um, oh, there you go, Joe. Yeah. Same boat as you. I have tons of crap that's on my shelf that yeah. I need to get. That is one of them as well. <laughs> Who does yeah. that? Who buys a lot of books and doesn't read them? <laughs> Mouse is a classic here. It's given to students when we're studying the war. Yeah, there's so, we could do two hours on this book alone. Um, there's so much going on in this book and there's so many incredible insights about sort of radicalized societies. Just, just by way of example, um, one of the features, you know, of like totalitarian um, societies is the erosion of the rule of law. And so in, in societies like that, you've got stuff like where the, the public criminal law is not actually public, it's sort of secret or the law is applied arbitrarily. So you don't know in any given day, are you violating the law or are you not? Um, and that's where you get instances where like, you know, even friends or family could turn you in and stuff like that. And so it creates this sort of atmosphere of, of, of fear. And that atmosphere of fear is toxic to creating, you know, like a vibrant civil society, like a conversation we're having right here or really any type of civil society. And the irony about it, I think the book talks, uh, the book suggests the irony about that is that the very type of like nationalism that a totalitarian regime is, is trying to um, trying to promote is undermined by the fact that you can't have a vibrant civil society. You have it, the very preconditions for a, na a, a sort of like pride of nation are undermined by the very regime itself. And so that's just one of many, many things that we could talk about in this book that are just brilliant insights into very, very damaged societies. So those are just my two books for the week. But how did you find it to read? Because I've always been a little scared off of it from it being too heavy and too dense and not being able to absorb enough of it in one sitting. Was it something that was onerously depictive or is it something that you can... Um, not easily because of the content matter, but easily in terms of the way it's written, pick up and, and read in, in um, a substantial amount of time cons um, consecutively without needing to put it down and reflect. Yeah, I found it actually to be a very um, sort of, I wouldn't say it's an easy read for the reasons you cite that, you know, it's sort of a, a very dark subject matter. Yep. But I think what makes the narrative go along is that it toggles between two, <clears throat> two time frames. So there's a one time frame which is, which is um, in the present or at the, pr the present when the book was written. So the book was written, was written between 1980 and 1991, roughly. Um, and so the, the, the present tense story takes place in 1978. And it's a conversation between Vladek, who's the father yeah. who, um, who experienced you know, the Holocaust and his son, Art, who is the writer, uh, Artie Spiegelman, who um, is a cartoonist and is, and is um, draw basically drawing the very book, this very book is his, his depiction of what his dad's telling him. Mm -hmm. And so it toggles between that and then of course, like the backwards looking from the 1930s to 1940s experience of the war. So it's a heavy matter. And the I, I would say that the, the paneling is very sort of innovative. Um, the illustrations are very sort of bare bones, but what makes it so readable is it toggles back and forth between these two basically plot lines. So I think it's actually quite readable. Okay. Um, I'd like to add in, I actually picked up that book uh, earlier this year. I got the complete set and read it. And the one yeah. thing, like you said, that made it readable was um, 
because it, it personifies not it's not people that you're reading about when you're reading the book now you know that it is people but you're seeing the germans as as cats the the jewish yep. people as mice you're seeing the the polish people they were what dogs or pigs pigs yeah pigs yeah and so you're seeing like dehumanized forms of what was going on at the time and what that helps you recognize especially when reading the book like you said it, it makes it easier to not put it down when you're reading it but it also helps you realize how these different um these different people viewed each other as they were not humans but 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 animals and it, it really brings a different like point to the whole book uh especially the way that that you said like he illustrated he he wrote and drew exactly what his father was telling him and it split it between two timelines and uh it by the time he finished it, it, it like it's gut-wrenching and it's and it's tough but as you're going through it it's not one of those ones that you like you put down because as it as it progresses from from book one to book two it's not you know book one you know germans come in and they're smashing babies against buildings it's it takes two and a half or it takes a book and a half before you get into that and so it, it really i don't know but it was, it was a really tough read once you finish it but reading through it it's it's it's, it's god it's such a great book yeah yeah it, it, it's the only i think graphic novel to ever get a pulitzer prize in america and oh, they really? created a special, special um uh pulitzer just just for it wow so, no i didn't know that yeah it's a classic yeah yeah, thank, thanks, Tim. That was that was that was fantastic. Um, sure. So, uh, Joe, do you want to pick up? Sure. Uh, I'll just retouch on. I already talked about it, so I'll go through uh, my DC, which is Sweet Tooth. We already talked about it, so I'll just touch on it super quick. So, as we know, Jeff Lemire wrote draw it. Uh, the colorist was uh, Jose Villa Rudia, and uh, the lettering was by Steve Wands. And like I said, I don't. I don't know what's going on in this. It's it in the beginning. I forgot it was written 300 years later. So, is it clones of the characters? I, I have no idea. They they haven't really revealed. There's the two main characters meet at the end, and you don't know what the hell's going on. And so then we gotta wait for issue two to know what's going on there. After my second book was Wolverine, White, Black, and Blood. And I don't know if any of you've been online checking into this. But I guess they did. There was a snafu on the variant covers. So this is the main cover. First page is this. Yeah, I got, I got the Ron. I got the Ron Garney variant cover. The Ron Garney variant cover. First page. You got the the screen. They they screwed up the pages. They printed. They put the wrong page in it. So. No. I don't know how many issues are like that, but <laughs> I just found that out like this afternoon. So I have no idea how many issues are like that, but that's something I just found out this afternoon. So I, I read the original one and it was all fine. Then I picked up variant because I want to look inside to see who, who is the artist. And I'm like, whoa, it's missing the last page. And that first page is from another comic. So that's just wow. a little, little bit of something for people who maybe bought the comics there. All right, so that uh that's the wolverine the first story is called the beast within them and it's by jerry dugan adam kubert does the art and the colorist is frank martin uh the second story is i shall be a wolf matthew rosenberg wrote it the art is joshua kazara and the colors are by guru guru effects 
And the third story is by Declan Shalve, and he does everything, writing, colors, everything. And every all three stories were lettered by, by Clayton Cowles. So this book, every story is short. It's quick. It's action-packed. It's a nice read. Every story is good. I mean, it moves along. The pacing is quick. So if you want something that's fun, quick, action-packed, pick this up. It's a fun read. Good, classic, comic fun. All right, so my third book is La Diabla by Ooh. Eric Powell. And, man, you got to love this cover. <laughs> it's a special edition cardstock cover. And this book is a lead-in to the Lords of Misery that is coming out in December. I think December 9th. So if you plan on reading Lords of Misery, pick this book up because it's the lead-in to that story. Uh, this is done... If anyone knows Goon, they know they know Eric Powell or Hillbilly, Hillbilly too. He does that, and it's a it's a decent book. The story uh, it tells you the origin story of La Diabla from the point of view. There's three crooks, kidnappers, whatever, and each one tells you the story of of her origin. So you got four different stories of how she came to be, and then of course at the end she shows up, kicks some ass. That's the end of the book. Now you got to get Lords of Misery. Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I mean, if you enjoy Goon and any of Eric Powell's other stuff, it's it's well within the same same line of uh, of stuff like that. So, yeah, that's pretty much uh, my three for the week. So I'll pick up from Joe. First one is Jessica Jones' Blind Spot, and it's by Kelly Thompson. It's a part of the Marvel premiere graphic novels, whereby the single issues were only released digitally. The art is by Matthias de Eulis, and the art is fantastic. It reminds me a lot of Crosswind, the Gail Simone series from a few years back, whereby it kind of looks like it's photorealistic, but then being coloured over. And it's a very, yeah, it's in that uncanny valley whereby it's it looks great, but it's slightly unnerving because it's like animation that is almost real but sort of sin on that sort of sinister edge where it clearly isn't real so it looks fantastic and um, as far as the story goes and i said previously with with jessica jones that um she's a little bit one note and it kind of gets tired where you just have someone being fucking miserable all the time and stropping through things despite the fact that she's super powered despite the fact she's going out with one of the most handsome superheroes in the whole of uh, the the Marvel universe, and that she is fantastic at what she does. She's a great private eye, but for some reason, she is consistently miserable. Now, <laughs> I spoke about the Punisher. The Punisher is one note. Now, it's, the Punisher can only really be written one way. But how you you extract personality from the story arcs is by the people that you're interacting with and the environments and the situations that he's put into. And that's the same with this title uh, with Jessica Jones. And it's got this fantastic um, noir sort of style of writing where it's all done under, under street lights with a ne neon tins. It just showed me that what I probably already knew, but just did another facet or another string in her bow. But Kelly Thompson can write anything she wants. And she mm. has a warm and charming and very and that makes it sound like it's cute but there is purpose to it as well like the stories are always going somewhere there's nothing that ever floats along 
but yeah, really astute writing, fantastic stuff. Um, second one is a Lemire, it's family tree. And I'm just gonna simply double back onto the stuff that I said about him earlier. There's a family and there is a curiosity that happens and uh, it's a dysfunctional family. It's about how they have to come together and appreciate each other's strengths as opposed to the weaknesses that they had previously. The other creatives are Phil Hester, Eric uh, Gapster and Ryan Cody. The art is absolutely sensational in this. It's not the most intricately drawn or colored, but it has the same edge that something like Outcast does, where it looks like a perpetual dawn or dusk or everything's at night, ir irrespective of it. It's just got this really deep palette to it. And the thing that I liked about Family Tree the most is that it didn't piss about with buildup. Like there's certain tropes that you know, okay, there's a family. And sure, there are a few pages in that, but very quickly it escalates. It says, it says this is, this is the situation and we're gonna go straight on to how we deal with it. Uh, yeah, really, really good, really astute writing again. And then finally, another one that we touched on earlier, frog catchers. Um, I didn't know anything about this. Um, I thought it was gonna be in the vein of Essex County and the sort of um, quaint um, country slice of life story. Uh, but within the first issue, I, I you know, you, you could see there was something more sinister uh, at play. Without going into the specifics of the story, I've, I've mentioned on Twitter uh, yesterday after I finished reading it that um, my dad's mum, so my grandma, um, suffered with dementia. She she had a long and progressive um, condition that made it very hard to deal with because they don't just lose their health, they, they lose their sensibilities in the mind. And with this, there's for the first couple of issues, there's very little text, but I don't know how he does it, but there's a haunting, wispy, intangible quality to the art in this that makes you know that everything isn't as it seems. It's sort of unraveled and, and the, the moments of clarity when the, the, the protagonist um, has a clear mind as well with the difference in art styles. It's, it's so, so impacting. It's, it, when I put it down, I, I had to take a deep breath and just think about it. And there's, there's not too many, but as we said before, Jeff Lemire, baby, that's what he does. You can't, it's, it, you get value for money because you're going to be thinking about that for days afterwards. Yeah, so another, another one from, from Lemire that I, I enjoyed so much. And I think that leaves us with Brian. Yes. All right. So I'm entrenched in the uh, well, Marvel. I'm going to start with um, Thompson's Black Widow number three, uh, and the whole um, uh, uh, premise is that um, we just pick her up and she's living her life, her best life. She's a fucking architect. She's got a wicked job. She's got the dopest fucking uh, motorbike on the road. And um, it's just like calm. And she's got a one-year-old and she's married. And it's like, wait, what the fuck? Like, what? You know, now the great thing about what Kelly's do do done is that she's just continued everything. So if you've been picking up, like, um, there was a Hawkeye uh, miniseries with him and uh, um, Winter Soldier. And yeah, yeah. Uh, they were kind of trying to rescue her and shit. 
uh, it just picks up all the threads, um, kind of like the banter that they had in the previous uh, buddy comics that carries on over into this. And that's, that is just something to admire. And you just touched on that, Matt. He has a unassuming way of just getting you involved in, in the banter, but there's some real serious shit going on. And this is this issue is the big reveal as to like what's behind this perfect or apparently perfect life that she has. And of course, is that familiar familiar Manchurian candidate uh, trope whereby she doesn't know who she is, but something kicks off and then she just switches into fucking. I'm gonna kill you, fucking, without leaving blood stains on my clothes. Um, kind of <laughs> shit. Um, and that happened in the last issue, and it happens again in this one. But oh my god, Elena Casagrande, who um, I'd literally just been doing some research into the kind of work that she did. She did Doctor Who, she did uh, Batgirl, uh, and nothing really that really major. But oh my god, her art is luxurious. Um, I think it's got to do with who the colorist is, but man, I, I, I tagged her in, um, I tagged Kelly in issue two, and I'm like, who gave you carte blanche to do these fucking awesome double page spreads? Because that's what you get. You just get action, 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 turn the page, and it's like, whoa, and you have to follow here, 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 here. And she does these awesome little pullouts, like, here's a bit of action that you actually have to see before we go into the next bit. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And this one has this fantastic um, kind of true lies, um, kind of humorous wrap up at the end where she fucking manages to save the day and uh, she, her and her husband and this baby and they're like, haha, we've got to have a talk, you know. Um, but yeah, brilliant. Uh, she still doesn't know who she is yet, but yeah, she's kicking ass and not taking any fucking prisoners. Um, and then we get into, of course, X. It needs to be a it needs to be a fucking a media outtake for that. I need the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> so the last ones we had, um, and this is coming out every coming out every week. So the last ones we had, um, uh, the the Araco team Araco, and they're fucking gangster as fuck. I don't know how the X are going to stand up against these guys. Uh, there needs to be a twist in the tail, trust me. Um, and this one in, in number 12, written by Hickman, so it was X-Men. Uh, so this is uh, chapter 12 of um, this 22-issue um, story, story arc. And this tells you the story of Genesis, who is Apocalypse's wife. And, you know, if you don't know the story about giving away anything, it's really just about Krakoa on Earth and Arako in other worlds which they were two joined millennia ago and some shit happened and they were separated. When it happened, not only was Arako and Krakoa separated, Genesis and Apocalypse were separated. Um, and this really tells the story of what happened when Genesis was left behind. So it's really just story time, you know, just getting into it. And the brilliance of this story is that it tells how um, Genesis is going up against her husband. And you can see the, what Hickman does, it shows their love there. But at the end of the day, they're in a fucking zero sum uh, battle here because um, no matter what happens, they're gonna have to lock horns. And yeah, they might love each other, but, but there's a, a, it illustrates the situation that Genesis is in 
through no fault of her own, or isn't it? You know, it's one of those things. It's your nature, isn't it? So are you fighting against your nature or against your love? It's really interesting. Uh, and then we get into Marauders, which is um, uh, number 13 of uh, X, X of Swords. Um, and this is a really quite fucking awesome because it starts off with narration um, by Wolverine, Logan. And he's just like, I'm fucked up with this shit. You know, like, and he actually, he just steps to Brian Braddock and he's basically saying like, motherfucker, if you fuck this bitch, we wouldn't be here. Who else has said that to a buddy before? Like, <laughs> that's all you had to do. That's all you had to do. And then, of course, people are like, yeah, but he's married. And he's like, no, no, no. This is the fate of fucking all of us here. Anyway, so you can imagine that goes down well. And, um, and it just shows everyone pairing up. So this is the dinner before... The, the battle royale and 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 uh, Opa Luna Saturnine is saying, look, everyone's just calm, chill the fuck out. I've got some dope ass food. Which me as a vegan, I looked at that menu and I'm like, I can't eat none of this shit. <laughs> fucking I am mute and fucking braised human skill, whatever. <laughs> fucking just, I'm, I'm sure it tastes uh, divine. Anyway. Um, everyone's pairing off and they're trying to work out like who's this and who's that and who's gonna be the fucking gangster killer and um, the brilliant pairing of Gorgon and uh, Magic is awesome because you've never you know, like Gorgon, we only know him to be fucking, you know, now he's on the council but we only know him when you're going up against him, now you get an insight into how this motherfucker sees shit and it's awesome and him and Magic together is just like wow this is how they work. Uh, so they're trying to basically work out who and what their opponents are, their weak points are, and it's a brilliant setup. It's just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And there's a character in this book called, um, I think it's Ishka the Unbeaten. Those are enough. The only other person who I know that could probably step in in that name is fucking, what's his name in the Inhumans? Help me out here. The guy that sees any breaking point. Um, Karnak, thank you. Yeah, he, he should be in this battle because I'm like, yo, this would be a fucking battle if Karnak was in it. But hey, we move on. Um, so yeah, it wraps up with the most awesome Wolverine being the motherfucking Wolverine that we all love to hate and know and love. And this is just like, yes. Didn't see it coming, didn't see it coming, but loved it when it happened. So that's all I'm going to say. Amazing. Uh, and then the last book of this week uh, was Crossover by uh, um, Cates. Um, actually, I didn't actually say so. Marauders written by Doug, and then there it is. Joe Parquet is holding it up. Crossover. So look, I love the cover. I love the premise. And the premise is basically that um, what, what's really real. I love those deep philosophical motherfucking jets. And uh, the narration is by the protagonist, uh, I think her name is, uh, uh, yeah, Ellie, which is short for Ellipsis. And then she goes into what her parents were thinking when they gave her that name. And um, there's been an event, and basically some shit's happened where all the fictional characters, ah, wasn't this a film with Roger Rabbit, right? They're coming into fucking, into the reality. Uh, and there's this whole thing now, and it, it's 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 brilliant because it's like 
kind of are you a fan or are you anti um characters that have come into the world and one of the superheroes have placed a force field around where this fucking event where ground zero is and it's all popping off inside there but outside there there are people that kind of like down with it and people are like get these motherfuckers out um and it the, the protagonist happens to work where in a comic book shop and in a comic book shop um it, this is just issue one so it's just really setting it up um the thing that happens is is that one of the characters happens to be in the comic book shop and what happens is when people see this person they're like ah shit and they're running and trying to get the fuck out like oh my god we're gonna leave we're gonna leave and then it gets real off key because one of the preacher's son manages to throw a fucking Molotov cocktail in there like because everyone's Gaping and like, you know, there's one of them in there, burn it down to the fucking ground. So it's just like, so you, you get it, but you want to know, like, like, okay, why are people so anti whatever the fuck's going on? And there's a, a, a brilliant little reveal there which shows that they may actually, and I don't know if they got the properties, if Duggan's got the properties to do this, but he said he's had this idea for years. Um, it, there may actually be some fucking guest appearances. Um, from from the illustration that the comic book character drew of who helped her escape, okay, alludes to you know one of the biggest characters uh, in ever. So I'm not going to say who, but yeah, it, 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 if if they get to do that, it's great. If it's an allegorical, depending on how to pull it off, great. So as a first issue, it does what it needs to do, um, but yeah, you can't say much. You just got to see where this arc goes. What do you reckon about that, Joe? Because I know you picked it up too. Uh, I really liked it. I thought it was uh, definitely, it, like you say, it depends where they go with this. It could be great, or it could just be like your run of the mill, like any other yeah. thing, you know, like fan yeah. service, and they don't go any deeper, and just, yeah. you know. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see in the, the next couple issues where he goes with this. But, mm -hmm. but there's a little things in it, like the way they, because in comics, when you're trying to show something that's a cartoon. When you're already in a cartoon, it's kind of hard. But the yeah. way they do it in this with the spot color, yeah. I thought that was a nice touch. So you Clever. know, this is a character from the pages of a comic. That yeah. was that was a beautiful touch. Like the art, there's you can't say anything bad about the art in this. Mm. They did a spot on job in the way they they presented it. You've not been yet, Goose. No, no. Oh, I do apologize. Then, then take your time, illuminate our lives with your uh, vernacular. <laughs> uh, regale us, regale us. Okay. Go for it. All right. Um, well, first on my on my stack, which I'm sad because I I went outside and I took I set my books on top of my car, and then in Texas the wind or like the, the the weather changed every like five minutes, so it wasn't windy, and then it was windy, and it threw my books on the ground, and one of my books got all fucked up. Not not the point though. Anyways, let's start this off with. Um, Department of Truth number two. Um, <clears throat> first off, I really enjoy the cover uh, because it has uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan with devil horns and a devilish grin uh, like he should be because all six letters of all three of his names have six letters that's 666 and he may or may not have been the devil. I don't know. Uh, but Let's get into the issue. Uh, and and the, the issue itself was um, 
pretty fucking solid. I'm a big fan of the art. Um, it's got this like watercolor vibe to it almost uh, throughout the whole thing. And the whole issue dealt with, uh, I don't know if anybody saw that sick fucking cover that I wish I would have bought. Uh, it's dealing with the star-faced man, um, which, let's see if I can find that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, that's going to be that guy right here. This isn't any spoilers, like page one. And you can also, that's the cover to that uh, awesome band uh, variant. But uh, the book itself, I I love, I hate conspiracy theories, but I love conspiracy theories. And uh, book one really pulled me in. This is from uh, Image. Uh, James Tinian's writing it. Um, you know, Martin Simmons on the artist. Uh, Ditya Bidikar on letterer and uh, Dylan Tyler is the designer. I don't know what the designer's exactly doing, but the the series has been kick ass so far. Uh, basically, uh, the premise of it is um, if you if enough people believe something, it becomes true, and that's what this department is dealing with is squashing out all of that bullshit. Uh, super good. I've liked it so far. Uh, issue one and issue two have both been real great, but basically anything I've read from Tinian this year has been just stupid incredible, and I absolutely love it. Uh, next on my list, let me switch this over real quick. It's killing my ear. These headphones are dope. Anyways, uh, back to my list. Uh, we got Giga, which I'm super excited about. And... Um, one thing I will say is um, I'm not. Oh, this is this is. Let's go ahead and tell you who it's from. Alex Pagnatel is the writer. John Lee is the artist. Rosh is the colors, and uh, Aditya Bidikar uh, is also the letters on this. Is in Department of Truth. Um, I man, I enjoyed it, but. I wanted the art issue. I'm going to hold out and see how it goes. I really enjoyed the story. Um, and I really like everything I've read from Vaults so far, but I was left uh, wanting on the art for uh, Giga. The covers had better art than the interior, and that was a, kind of a bummer for me. Uh, the last one on my or the spine got all ripped and got all torn. Isn't disappointed with at all. This is heavy. Um, this one is from the Max Bemis is the writer. Uh, Eric Donovan is the artist. Chris Peters the colorist, and Taylor Esposito is the letterer. Um, I've got a uh, personal um, love for Max Bemis because, uh, like. By proxy, he's the reason that I have a kid. Uh, he's the front man for the band Stay Anything, and they were supposed to be doing their reunion tour uh, a couple of years ago, playing their first, second, and third uh, albums over two nights. Well, he got um, laryngitis and couldn't perform the nights that he was supposed to come and play my three favorite albums by them. And I went and met uh, who is now my fiance. And so, like, I already love Max Bemis. Uh, he also lives. 45 minutes away from me and Tyler. Uh, but this book is uh, basically what you want Punisher to be. Um, but God, it's just so much more vicious. Uh, let's just go to some of the pages. Uh, you're seeing just like full on 
orgies on most pages like you would expect from a great vault comic and then we've got great monsters uh solid art great story i'm biased i love max bemis um but everything about heavy uh is is i'm a big fan of so two vault books and a and an image book i i suggest picking all three of those up for sure i guess those are uh my three uh, Blake, I know you were uh, nodding contently at one point there. Do you want to? Do you want to add anything? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, Gaga blew my fucking mind. Um, I I love the art, um, but I can also see how it's it, it can be a little divisive because uh, it is a different style. Um, but yeah, I I really loved it. It's uh, um, Magnadell's made this like world and his world building like they tell a lot of the history through phrases from this new bible um yeah they're using, they're using mecca in a fresh way um i have decided that because i don't spend enough money i'm gonna buy every variant <laughs> um, so like, i already like put the pre-orders into the shop they were like so you, so you you want it on your pull list and they were like and you want all these covers i was like yes every cover every single one Give me three issues of every issue. Yeah, like just take take the money. Um, I've never, I've always wanted to do that with a run uh, to get all the variants. And I, this is only five issues, so I was like, oh, maybe I can actually make this feasible. Um, but yeah, I really dug it. I recommend picking it up. Oh, I listen. I loved everything about it. The world building was great. Like you said, the way that they're introducing like the mecha is is incredible, especially with this new Bible, everything like that. But what I what I meant by the art is when i saw the covers and i saw what was going on i'm a big fan of mechs i've i've done a little bit of the gunpla i love a lot of the old gunplay or not gunplay but uh the gundam mech or gundam animes and stuff like that and so i was really excited going into this but what underwhelmed me really was it looked almost like something you would see on an online comic as far as as far as art and and shading went and, and it didn't detract from the story the story itself was great and i really enjoyed it but the art did leave me wanting more um not, with the exception of the lush landscapes that you would see in yeah. the backgrounds that that was what i was looking for and and man i got a bunch of the covers too i got that marvel homage cover that they had and i got the other one i'm big r.i.p to that fucking rip on the cover you got dude i was bummed as shit to see that <laughs> fucking i don't mean to bring it up but dude that is the absolute worst um but no those are my three and like i really enjoyed all of them vault has not dropped a single thing uh, I'm on. I'm really on this indie kick with Vault and AWA. Um, who's it, who's another one? Uh, Boom has just been putting out book after book after book of incredible shit. Anyway, anyway they're all through great books. I recommend picking them up. They've got uh, the Goose Juice uh, bookmark stamp on them. I think it's probably a good time to, as the charming introduction says, say toodle pip. So. Joe, do you want to address Yeah, the I just want to give a shout out to uh, a Twitter peep. Uh, Jeff, better known as uh, Whiskey Bro on Twitter, uh, contacted me last night and wanted to ask me if I had any uh, traits kicking around that I could give him to send to his brother who's overseas serving. So I said, no problem. And uh, I said, I'd give For him sure. a shout out. So to Jeff and Chris, Jeff's taking care of you, Chris. He's sending you some books. 
These are the ones that we're sending. They're going to be coming to you overseas so you can get your comic fix while you're serving everyone back here at home. Good so. And Respect. Veterans Day is coming. I got my poppy. So there you go. Peace out. Excellent work. Brian, do you want to bid farewell? Yo, people. Lovely, 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 lovely. Okay, stay tuned. Man. We've got more good tech coming to you every and each and every week. Peace. Oh, that is a tough act to follow. Uh, if you made it to the end, we love you. Come back for more. Um, I love talking to these guys. It's fun. Didn't feel like hanging out. Um, and I appreciate everybody. Appreciate all you wonderful people. Ollie, hit the people with a farewell, please. Me? Yes, please. Goodbye. I'm getting famished. I want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. Oh, spoken in spoken the words of a true Brit. You you could yeah. here. That's all we've been trying to do for two years. <laughs> <laughs> and that I think only leaves me your charismatic confidant of comics, your co-conspirator. Love it. <laughs> it's me, Matt, aka Marvel's Fanco or Platforms. This has been and this is the end.